Remain standing if you're able, please, that we might now give our full attention to the reading and the preaching of God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. That word this morning comes to us from 1 Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a, pe a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The word of the Lord. Indeed, Father, this is your word open before us this morning, and so we pray that you would accompany it by the work and power of your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to behold beautiful things from this portion of it, and then that that same Spirit might seal to the, my, our hearts and minds uh, application of that word that we might live it out to the full. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please, friends, be seated. It is my great delight to introduce to you a friend of mine, Dr. Owen Tarantino. He does have a brother, but his brother's name is not Quentin. <laughs> Owen and I actually met in seminary tw 27 years ago. I said 23 years ago in the first service and then did the math 27 years ago. And Owen, after we finished seminary together, Owen stayed in St. Louis serving as an associate at Chesterfield Presbyterian, and I stayed in St. Louis serving as an associate at Covenant Presbyterian, and so we continued in our friendship for about five more years as members of the Missouri Presbytery. As long as I've known Owen, he has definitely had a heart for missions. He is now transitioning from his role as an associate at Chesterfield uh, into a director of the Midwest Hub for MTW, and that, if you're unfamiliar, simply stands for Mission to the World. That is our foreign mission agency in our denomination. He is now in charge of the Midwest and bringing uh, MTW to the local churches. Instead of asking churches to send people to them in Atlanta at the, uh, the main office, they are now dividing up the country with hubs, where they are coming to the church. And so it is our privilege to have him come this morning and expound this passage that we just heard together. Wow, 20 some years, huh? We're getting older, man. It's just, it happens quickly, doesn't it? Well, it is a delight to be here. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, I am just delighted to be able to share with you from God's word this morning. Two verses, so how long could this be, right? Uh, mission of the World is the mission sending agency, your mission sending agency, and we're um, in about 80 some countries. We have about 700 or so missionaries, and we have uh, equal number or even more mission partners around the world. And the whole purpose of Mission of the World is to support the local church in sending, equipping, and seeing churches grow and start in countries around the world to proclaim the gospel the good news that in christ there's salvation there's hope um, mission of the world is really committed to church planting uh, we're committed to also partnering with indigenous leadership and equipping indigenous leaders so that they can lead their congregations and lead their ministries we're also committed to ministries of deed as well and so we have many ministries that 
stem from the local church in different countries that focus on caring for refugees, caring for those struggling with different uh, social justice issues and those kinds of things. Um, just delighted to be able to talk with you about what God is doing through our denomination. Just to mention that one of the things that we're challenging congregations like this one to consider is this whole 1% challenge. It's not a financial challenge, it's a challenge to prayer. Jesus says that he looked out at the crowds and he saw that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he says that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers or the workers are few. And then what does he say? He says, pray and ask the Lord to raise up laborers to go into the harvest field. And so we're asking churches to commit to pray. And we're saying, would the Lord raise up 1% of each congregation to go and serve overseas in a global mission connection? I, I've shared that lots of times and uh, we're seeing churches respond to that. I've never had a church say, that's too many, that's too much percentage. We should do half a percent. No, I've never had a church say that. So would you pray? Would you ask the Lord to raise up missionaries, maybe even folks here? I know you're, the Lord is, is working and you have missionaries and that's exciting, but there's great needs around the world to see God's kingdom expand and grow. And for people who love the Lord and are committed to serve him around the world. You know, in a typical missions conference, there's usually a time when you talk about famous missionaries. And I can't help but think about and talk about William Carey, who went to India. And what's interesting about a discussion about these famous, famous missionaries is, is that, from my perspective, it's not just the work that they did, but it's like, what was the thing, the personal experience that they had that kind of ignited their heart and passion for the lost. I was reading about William Carey, who in the late 1700s, um, you know, said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And he went to India and, and did a whole lot of work with translating scriptures, and he did a lot of church development and social justice work and care, and many, many came to know the Lord through his ministry. But what's interesting about it, and this is just briefly mentioned in his biographies, is how did William Carey come to be so ignited and on fire with the, with the gospel personally? And it was interesting, he was a cobbler. Now that's not like cobbler, it's not like an apple pie kind of thing. It's a, although I like that. When you used to repair shoes, you had cobblers, right? People that would repair shoes. And so he was a cobbler and he was apprenticing as a cobbler. And this fellow apprentice guy named John War shared with him the hope of the gospel. It wasn't just one occasion, several times, several over a series of, of engagements with him, he shared with him the hope of the gospel. And God stirred his heart where he was able to realize his own deep sinfulness and need for a personal savior. And he embraced Christ as a savior. And he couldn't help but be so overwhelmed with this change in his life, be so excited about what God has done to free him from the shackles of sin that he had to go and share that with others in places where the name of Jesus was not known and so he was went to Calcutta India and started some incredible mission work there I also think of a missionary uh, James Taylor okay not the musician James Hudson Taylor and how God used him in China 
to further the kingdom there. He served there for 51 years. He established over 20 mission statements, had over 890, 849 uh, missionaries in the field with him, raised millions of dollars, it says, uh, to help the churches there. And some have recorded that there were probably over 50,000 people who were baptized, who came to know the Lord. He didn't baptize 50,000, but through his ministry and through his work, over 50,000 people came to know the Lord. And even today, some people look back and say, from China, they say, uh, Hudson Taylor was the one, through his ministry, was, was the one who established the work that helped them to come to know the Lord. But what was it for him? What ignited his heart and passion for the loss in the gospel. It's interesting, he, it says when he was, I think, 17 years old, he was looking at a book on his father's bookshelf, and it said something like the work, the finished work of Christ. And he had no idea what that meant. And he read that book, and his heart was stirred. He realized that the answer to the struggles that he has was found in Christ. And he experienced this intense, this intense desire to see others come to know that it is finished. That the work of Christ has been complete and provides for him and for us the hope of eternal life and salvation. This morning as we look at the passage from 1 Peter, I hope our hearts are stirred. I hope that we're reminded of how God works in our world. You know, I've spent a good amount of time traveling in different places and I've seen firsthand how God's hand is at work, how God's church is growing. And it's, it's exciting to see that. I was in uh, Portugal this past fall and then I was in Spain and then Germany and, and then I went to Azerbaijan. And um, when I was in Spain, you know, one of the things I, I do when I travel is I try to go out for a little run, right? And so if you're in a foreign country and you're going for a run, you have to be careful that you don't get lost. Right? And so, you know, because I don't know the roads and sometimes I go with my phone so I can Google map back if I get lost or that kind of thing. But I'm always looking for little landmarks, little signs that, that, uh, that will help remind me. And as I was going on that run in Madrid, I was going down and I saw, okay, this sign here, I'm going to go left. When I come back here, I'm going to go right and that kind of thing. I was standing in front of a church or running in front of a church and I said, okay, what am I, how am I going to remember this church? This is... There's lots of churches in Spain and Madrid. And then I looked down and there on the pole right by the church in graffiti was my name, Owen. Real big letters. It was big. I took a picture of it. I had to take a picture of it. And I was like, okay, Lord, that's pretty cool. You know, sometimes we see God doing work in our families, in our world, and we're just surprised, right? We're like, Wow. God, you are so involved in my life. You're intimately acquainted with all of my ways. You know the struggles that I have. You know the joys. You know my hopes. You know what I'm longing for. And as we consider how God is intimately acquainted with this church, how God is at work in history, how God is at work in our lives, and how God is at work in others, I hope that the passage that we read will remind us how we are to proclaim this beautiful message of the gospel. It says in 1 Peter 2, 9, it says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. 
the gospel of grace is moving forward. And we can celebrate that. But we also are called to be engaged in that. Okay, picture this. You're on an airplane, okay? And you're sitting there. And maybe you have your Bible out and you're reading the Bible. Or maybe you have another Christian book that you're reading. And the person next to you notices what you're doing and says to you, Oh, you're a Christian. And you say, yeah. And they say to you, well, what does that mean? What do you say? How do you describe what it means to be a follower of Christ? How do you engage with that person? How do you talk about the hope of the gospel with them? You know, I, I had a dream a few months ago, and I don't usually share my dreams, but... This was a dream where I was, in my dream, it was very vivid. I was, for some reason, taking this medicine. And I didn't realize it, but the medicine was actually killing me. I thought it was a path of life, but it actually was a path of death. This was in my dream. And the only person who would tell me the right path of life was my sister April. Now, my sister April is not a churchgoer. So it was kind of interesting that she was the one that was telling me this. It's kind of like those dreams... Or those, those illustrations where if you had the cure to cancer, you know, wouldn't you share that with as many people as possible? That was kind of, I think I was thinking about that, and that was the dream that I had. So I woke up, I was like, oh, April, thank you so much. So I, I had to call her. I, I called her on the phone. I said, April, I had this crazy dream. It was so vivid. You were the only one to tell me that what I was doing was the wrong way and, and that this was the way of life. And she said, well, you're welcome, Owen. You know, <laughs> she just took it all in stride. You know, but as we unpack this passage, how can we be used by God to help others understand what it means that the Lord is the Lord of lords and the King of kings and his grace is real and provides for all that we need? What does this passage teach us about proclaiming the message? It says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This passage says that we are to be proclaimers of this message of hope. And I'm going to look at how this passage reminds me that we are to proclaim the personal message of the gospel. Our experience, we are to proclaim the fact that God calls us into a new community, into a new family. He calls us together to be his people. And we're also to proclaim the message of hope that it is a powerful message of hope. It's a message of transformation that is, has deep impact on our lives. It says... That you are a chosen people. What's interesting about this is that, that he, is, he has called you. What's interesting about this language here in, in, in 1 Peter 2 is it's very personal. By the way, notice it says you are a chosen people. It doesn't say you are a choice people. Think about the difference on that, right? Someone said that before. It's not that, it's not that we are choice people, but that we're a chosen people. But it's very personal, isn't it? It says that he has called you out of darkness. 
You know, the message of the gospel is not some sort of force that we are talking about or some sort of mysterious kind of thing. It's very personal. He calls us by name. He knows us personally. And our experience is a personal one as we know the Lord. Look what it says. and You could turn there if you want, but it's in 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, blessed, this is verse 3. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's interesting that it's not just these kind of vague kind of forces out there. It's talking about a personal transformation of God's work of grace in our life. So what we're proclaiming is something very personal. Our experience should be, in one sense, very personal. It's interesting, I was asking that question to some girls who are part of a cross-country team that I was helped coaching, and they're, they're Christian, it's a Christian uh, from a Christian high school. And I said to the girls, I said, if you were asked, you're sitting on a plane or you're at the library and you were asked by someone, what does it mean to be a Christian? What would you say to them? What did they say to me? What do you think they said? You know what they said to me? They said, oh, oh, well, we, we wouldn't want to offend anyone. We, we, we wouldn't want to be too pushy. I said, no, 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 you're... You're actually been asked, what, where's your hope? What are you talking, what is this whole message of Christianity? And still, I had a hard time to get them to talk about it. Now, don't get me wrong. We need to be sensitive to people around us. And by the way, that's addressed in, in chapter 3 of 1 Peter. It says in verse 15, in your hearts honor Christ as Lord, as holy. But then it says this, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respects, respect. That's chapter 3, verse 15 in First Peter. So we see that. We see that as we are to proclaim the excellencies of what it means to know Jesus, we are to respect and be gentle. Okay, that's given. But sometimes we could be so defense that we forget to engage people about the personal transformative work of God in our life. If we're going to be missional people, if we're going to be concerned for the nations, we need to remember that this is a personal message. What is your testimony of God's grace in your life? What was your life before you knew Jesus? How did God open your eyes to the reality of the gospel? And how are you different? How are you different? I love how this is explained in one sense in, the, in so many parts of scripture, but there's this one passage, and again, you don't need to turn there. I like going to lots of different passages. But in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, so you remember that easily, 9, 9, Matthew chapter 9. We see a testimony of Matthew talking about his own transformation. And he says, as Jesus passed from, from there, he saw a man called Matthew. Saw me. Sitting at the tax booth. And he said to me, said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table, many tax collectors and sinners came to him reclining. And, they, and the Pharisees saw him. They said, why do your, does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of the physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So what Matthew is saying here is... As he's describing his experience of sitting there in the tax booth 
as he's kind of giving his testimony, he's saying, Jesus called me and I followed him. But he's further saying, he's saying, I was a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm the one that Jesus has come to save. I'm not the righteous. What a beautiful testimony. And for us, as we consider proclaiming the message of hope to our neighbors and to the nations, how can we describe God's work of grace in our life? How has God changed your life? How has God helped you relate to others more lovingly at school or at work? How has God helped you handle your anger? How has God helped you to handle your money and your priorities? How has God healed you from an empty way of living? How has God helped us with addictions? How has God given us hope? How have we sensed God's forgiveness when we mess up time and time again? How have we been able to see God's bigger plan even when we face some significant loss and disappointment? And are we willing to share that experience, that reality of God's grace with others? Not only does this passage teach us that the gospel of grace and the message of hope, this glorious message, this marvelous message of redemption, it's not only personal, but it's also a community, that we are called to be part of God's community. The passage says, verse 9, it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a people, a people. He calls us to be a family. Now, there's a lot of Old Testament, New Testament connections here. And actually, this passage is probably from Exodus 19. Okay, so Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6, it says, Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. Among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So what we're seeing is the Old Testament promise is now fulfilled in the New Testament where God's saying, remember when I talked about being a holy people and a holy nation? Well, in Jesus, you're that spiritual nation. You're a people. You're my people. You're my treasured possessions. Now, notice it says in Exodus 19, again, you could turn there another time, it says, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. Now, did the Old Testament saints obey the voice of the Lord perfectly? No. Did they keep his covenant? No. Part of what we learn from the Old Testament, how if we are left to our own ways, we're deeply flawed people and broken people. We need a heart transformation because we don't listen to God's voice. We often turn to our own ways. And that's the heart of the gospel, right? This community that we're called to be a part of is not a community of you got to work your way to it. It's a community of grace. It's a community of God's love. The key element in this community is that God is with us and dwells with us. Revelation 21 says that, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. This new family that God has called us to is a family of grace. We don't earn the right to be part of this family. It's also a family where we can experience the very presence of God together. You know, there's something very powerful about us gathering together as God's people. 
know, we could all be at home watching things on live stream or something like that. But there's something very special about us gathering together, singing together, worshiping together, learning together, fellowshipping together. We experience in a greater way the very presence of God as we gather as his people. How are you engaged in this community? Could you be more involved? Could God be using your gifts in a greater way as you seek to proclaim the message of the gospel to your neighbors and to your friends? Perhaps there's a way that you could volunteer to serve on a team in this community to enhance the effectiveness of this community. But God has called us. He's not only called us personally and transformed us by his grace, but he also has called us to be his people together, to experience his very presence. And there's such joy as we look to the Lord to experience his closeness, his presence with us through his spirit's power. Well, the passage also goes on to say that this is a marvelous calling. It says this. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. And what are we proclaiming? We're proclaiming, verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The gospel is so powerful because it brings hope. It's our only hope that we have for the problems that we have, for the brokenness in our lives and in this world. The gospel transforms the way that I live, the way that I look at myself, the way that I look at my neighbor. It transforms the way that I look at the nations. It enables us to stand with courage and hope, not in ourselves, not in our own work, but in the finished work of Christ. We're able to stand with hope and confidence in that work. Because we know it is finished. We know through Christ our sins are forgiven. And so we can stand with that kind of confidence and hope. You know, as I was traveling back from one of these trips, I went through uh, Frankfurt, Germany. And by the way, part of my traveling these trips is to, is to see what God is doing around the world, but also to have an opportunity to share with others who may be a good fit to go and serve on these teams around the world that we have. But I was going through Frankfurt, Germany, and if you've ever been to Frankfurt, Germany, you know that the security there is pretty tight. And you get kind of rechecked and go through security again. And I forgot, forgot to, let, to take my iPad out of my bag as we went through security. Well, I, I got stopped, boop, and they said, you forgot to take your iPad out of your bag. Okay, sorry, ich verstehe das nicht, or something like that. It means I don't understand the German. I don't know. Um, that's the only German I know. So that's, but I, they took my iPad out and they said, why didn't you take it out? And I said, well, I forgot. So they swabbed it. You know, they had, they had that little swab. They're swabbing it for traces of explosives. And I'm standing there. How do you think I'm feeling at that point? I'm tired. My team is behind me. And I'm like, go ahead, guys. It might be a while. And, but I'm not nervous. All of a sudden... The test comes back. It registered for explosives for some reason. I don't know why. False positive. I, I was. How did I think? I, how do you think I felt? I felt pretty confident. Moments later, two police officers, one in front of me, one behind me, came and started to interrogate me. You know, where are you coming from? What are you doing? Why does your Why does your iPad test for explosives? 
Can you turn it on? Can you do this? Can you do this? They were all over me. How do you think I felt? I was a little nervous. Okay, I have to admit, I was a little nervous. But I was still confident because I knew that I wasn't guilty. I hadn't done anything wrong. I knew they were going to sort it out after a while. They took out all my stuff, which was a little embarrassing. And, um, and we were, I was able to move on after, after some time. My team was a little concerned about me. They were like, are you getting arrested? I said, no, not, not quite yet. But I was able to stand there with confidence. How much more should we be able to stand with confidence knowing that our sins are forgiven? Knowing that he has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. What a blessing it is to know that once we had not received mercy, but now we have. That's the joy, that's the hope that we have in Jesus. And we are called to proclaim that hope. Proclaim the great power of the gospel to transform us. To give us security and hope. How could God help us to do that with those that we work with? And for us to just be amazed. You notice what it says. It says, his marvelous light. His marvelous, marvelous light. We should be amazed that God has called us. He's called you into his family. Into his marvelous light. One pastor says that we should, this reminds him that we should pinch ourselves and say, oh, Am I a Christian? I'm a Christian. Oh my goodness, this is, it's amazing that me, a sinner, like I am, wayward as I am, I'm a sinner. And yet, I've been, I've been ushered into his marvelous light by his grace. We should be amazed that God has called us. My twin brother tells a story about meeting our Sunday school teacher when we were younger. This is our Sunday school teacher when we were younger and her name was Mary and he met her a few years ago and um, they were catching up and she was like well how's Owen you know he's your twin you know how's he doing and so well he lives in St. Louis and he's a pastor and Mary was like our old Sunday school teacher was like what he's a pastor he he's the last one that I thought would become a pastor my brother likes that story you know and and, and I'm like, really, David? He, she said the last one? Like, not the second to last one? Not like the third last one, but the last one? You know, we should be amazed that we're in Christ. We should be amazed that we're forgiven, that he has brought his marvelous light. We should marvel at the gospel of grace that has just come to flood our lives and to change us and to be called to be his people. Part of the message of the gospel is that we're amazed that he has brought us out of darkness. That he has lavished his grace upon us. Which grace is God's blessing. It's unmerited. But the mercy that we see here is his compassion. His deliverance from judgment. We deserved judgment. And yet in Christ our sins are forgiven and he covers us. We should be amazed. How has God called you to be part of proclaiming the message of hope. How has God called you to be personally engaged and to talk with your neighbors, maybe even folks in other nations, about how God has transformed you and how he's called us into a community and how his power overwhelms us 
so much because we know that we are forgiven because of Jesus. You know, I have a friend, <clears throat> she was Muslim, and um, she came to know the Lord a few years ago. Uh, a student friend of hers actually for many months shared the gospel with her, gently, lovingly, but shared the hope of the gospel with her. And she came to know Jesus as her, as her Lord and Savior, and it was such a beautiful thing. But you know, it took her two years to tell her parents and her brothers and sisters that she came to know the Lord. She was afraid. She was afraid that they would disown her because, of, because they were Muslim, and she was afraid that they might even hurt her. It took her two years. But you know what she's doing now? She's interested in proclaiming this message not only to her family but to the nations as well to help those who have no opportunity to hear the gospel of grace she's engaged in trying to bring about the hope of the gospel to those people how have we experienced God's mercy and how has God called us to share that hope with others around the world as he enables us okay so you're on an airplane or maybe you're in the lunchroom. Or maybe you're outside and your neighbor says to you, the person next to you says to you, hey, I hear you're a Christian. What does that mean? What do you say? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the work of the gospel in our lives and in our world. We thank you, Lord, that you call us to be proclaimers. In word and deed, you call us to proclaim how you have brought us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And we are so glad. We don't deserve your mercy. We don't deserve your grace. But thank you for lavishing it upon us through Jesus. May you enable us, may you enable this church to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And may your kingdom grow. And may many come to know the hope and the forgiveness that is found in Jesus, our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.